Hey everyone, it's Ben. Thanks so much to those of you who've supported us. You've put your money where your ears are, and we're very grateful that we can now begin paying off all the recording equipment that we've charged to our credit cards. But we still need much more support to actually pay Tommy, Jackie, and me for all our hard work. So, if you're able to support the pod, head on over to AskYourGayUncle.com and click Donate. Ask your gay uncle, 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 ask him all the questions that you have in your brain. Ask your gay uncle, you know that your uncle will do his very best to explain. He'll do his very best to explain. Court Vox, welcome to Ask Your Gay Uncle. Thank you. You are a somatic sex educator, but not the kind that teaches fifth graders about the birds and the bees. You travel around the world teaching people how to awaken the erotic body and improve intimacy. And you do this through group workshops and one-on-one sessions. Can you tell us more about this? Well, yes. So, well, that's, I like that introduction. I'm going to have to start using that for myself. Um, (laughs) I am a somatic sex educator predominantly. Somatic means of the body. So Unlike a traditional coach or therapist that works solely with talk therapy, I work with clients with embodied exercises and touch exercises to facilitate learning and growth, as well as talking through processing. And you're also a member of the World Association of Sex Coaches. Yes, which means that my name appears on their website and you can find me there. Okay, (laughs) got it. Nice. You mentioned on your website that some of the world's most well-known sex educators come to you when they have things they need to work on. That's an intimidating responsibility. You know what? I I don't find it intimidating. I find it, it's like very, um, it's, it's a huge honor to work with people in general, for them to come to work with me in these very vulnerable, very open spaces. You know, if I was always thinking about who they were in the world, um, we wouldn't get very far, you know. I see clients that are like top executives at Facebook and Google and, um, you know, multimillionaire bankers. And and then I also see people who, um, you know, just have normal jobs as a waiter or things like that. You know, and for someone that works in my field and who is someone who is highly respected to come to me and say, I'd love to work with you, um, it's a huge honor um, and privilege for me to bring my gifts. It's also like, I have to say that, you know, in the space that we're in, there's not a ton of people doing what I'm doing in the way that I do it. And so even I find myself when I'm going to do my own work, it's like, who do I go to? You know, mm-hmm. there's, like, there's like a handful of people that I would trust and that I would go to, to do my own work and to continue doing my own work with. So Yes, it's a huge honor. And also there's not a there's not a huge pool of people to choose from. Hmm. And how did you how did you get into doing this kind of work? Good question. I'm gonna give you the, the PG answer. <laughs> you can no, you can give us the X answer. This is a podcast, you know. This is a podcast. You know, I was studying Shibari rope bondage at the time in a class. And I met this Okay, woman. wait, wait. Can yeah, we just I, pause here? What is, uh, what is <laughs> Shibari, Shibari rope bondage? bondage? Shibari is um, a form of rope bondage that started in Japan. It's centuries old. It was originally used um, by the police, actually, as ways of um, 
capturing people and and you know tying their hands like handcuffs um and then of course like everything else it became a fetish of sorts um right but i was i was studying shibari rope bondage in a class a group class and i met a woman who agreed to be my practice partner and i was at her house and i was telling her what where i was in my life and what i wanted to do i was kind of at a crossroads in my corporate job and um she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, to be honest, I would like to be a sex coach or a sex therapist that works with people, not just through talk, but through touch and through experiential learning. Mm. And she said, have you, have you heard about sexological body work? And I said, no, I've never heard of that. And so I immediately like left her house and I looked it up and I was like, this sounds amazing. Sexological body work was founded by Joseph Kramer mm-hmm. um, in, in the 80s during the AIDS epidemic as a way for gay men to connect um, through erotic energy without um, exchanging bodily fluids. And then it kind of grew from there. And so the school in San Francisco that Joseph Kramer started had shut down. And so I found this school in Canada and spent the next two years studying somatic sex education with the full intention of like leaving my corporate job and doing this full time. And that's exactly what I did. Wow. And just for me and also our listeners, when you say the word somatic, can you, can you just break that word down a little bit? Yeah. Somatic means of the body. So when we talk about psychology, it's very much in the head Uh discussing things. We're analyzing things with our brain. When we talk about the somatic, it's like, what is the lived experience? You know, there's a lot of discussion around trauma in my work. Um, And, you know, we talk about trauma mostly as like the experience that happened to you. You know, I was raped or I was in a car accident. And like, that's the trauma. In somatic sex education and neighboring fields, we actually look at trauma as like what is stored in the body. So you had the experience and then the trauma is actually what's stored in your body. You know, humans have the capacity to release trauma on their own, just like animals do. And as humans, we've also cultured that out of ourselves. So as children, you know, you're taught to sit still, to not squirm, to not fidget, to sit on your little mat. You're taught to hold your pee. You know, you have to go to the bathroom. You need to hold it. Mm -hmm. You can't go right now, right? When you're crying, don't cry. Stop being a baby. Grow up. You know, all these messages of like ways that we physically release trauma. Shaking is another one. You know, if you're physically shaking, it's like, why are you shaking? Stop doing that. It's weird. Mm. You know, so all these ways that we are naturally um, release trauma, we're culturally taught not to do. And so there is kind of like this resurgence of people that are like, no, you if you're crying, there's a reason like let it go. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually need to have a story even. Why are you crying? It doesn't matter. You know, just... It's a release of some kind of energy or trauma in your body that needs to come out. Mm. Same thing with movement. Like we are not really movers in our culture. Like when I ask people to move with me, it's kind of like there's such a hesitance and, and red, um, reticence. Reticence. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Reticence. And it's not even just in the mind. It's like stuck in the body of like, I don't even know how to move my body. Mm. But when you start to listen to your body and, and, um, move in a way that feels intuitive. It's incredibly healing and rewarding um, and connecting. So 
Somatic really is a way of connecting to your body in a way that's natural. And that's a lot of what I'm teaching people is it's not just about sexuality. It's about coming back to your body because when you're not in your body, how can you be connected to your eroticism mm -hmm. and your sexuality? While you're talking court, it reminded me of something that happened to me. I teach dance and I was at this um, one school that I was visiting yearly and I saw, you know, this group of kids, second graders, and it's a rural school. And so they all stayed together. And, and then I didn't, wasn't there for a while. And I came back and they were all in eighth grade. And I noticed a huge difference to them in that very thing you're talking about of like, okay, everybody make a shape or move like an animal or whatever the suggestion is. And as second graders, it's like, bam, they're a dragonfly. They're, you know, they're a dinosaur. No question. Mm -hmm eighth grade, they look around, they don't move at all. And I said to them, what happened, you guys? You are so different. Mm. And uh, the two responses that stood out for me was, one of them was, we got homework. <laughs> and then the other one was, we had to turn into adults. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so much wisdom. Yes. had an awareness, <laughs> yeah. right? Some people don't have an right. awareness that it's happening to them. You know, I have, I have a, my son, I have a 17 year old son and I ran into his kindergarten teacher um, maybe a year ago. And I said, how are you? And, and mind you, this woman, she's from Germany. She had such a light about her. She was such an incredible teacher. She was always the one that everybody wanted, right? And she looked a little like mm. defeated. And I said, you know, are you still loving what you're doing? And she said, no, I think I need to like step away from it for a while. And I said, why? And she said, you know, kids have become so um, attached to outcome and mm. attached to getting it right that they don't even try anymore. So if, if I'm trying to teach, you know, how to draw a butterfly or draw a picture of their face and it doesn't come out looking just like a butterfly or just like their face, they feel so disappointed and defeated and shame around it. She said, I don't know what's happening, but it's, it's like this very real thing. And it's incredibly sad for me. Wow. Even in kindergarten. In the, sorry, this is preschool. She was wow. teaching preschool. You know, I think specifically Western culture, we're so, we're so defined by the outcome, by the finish line. You know, there has to be this middle or the beginning, middle and end. Mm -hmm. And that's oh, how yeah. we look at sex too. Yeah. We start here and then there's penetration and then everybody comes and then it's done. We had a successful time. And, you know, when you have that formula, it gets super boring, right? <laughs> totally. You know, we would rather pathologize ourselves and be like, there's an issue. I must have some kind of issue. I must have erectile dysfunction or I must have blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. There's something wrong with me. There's a pill for that. Instead of just saying, this is boring. Yeah. Instead of saying, I'm just fucking bored. Yeah. Right. Or I've tasted this a hundred times and I just don't want it anymore. Mm. Right. Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. We do it with food all the time. I had Chinese last night. I don't want it tonight. That's when it's time to bring in the Shindo knots. What were they called? <laughs> Was that it? <laughs> the Shindo knots? The, the Japanese like knot tying thing? Oh, I just said Shubari. 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 Okay. I said the name wrong. <laughs> Shindo nuts. I think that's that's my next creation. Shindo nuts. This is boring. It's time to bring in the shindo nuts. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I just want to hop into the questions, and this is a perfect segue. Yeah, let's so do it. our first listener question is from David in Barcelona. 
David says, COVID has stopped us from living our usual sexual lives and shown us that most of the time, sex can actually be used as a distraction rather than for real connection, especially when we use hookup apps. What is your opinion on the matter? Can we use sex as entertainment? Or should we start to think about it as something more? And finally, he says, if so, what is your advice for a 20-something trying to find a deeper connection in sex? That's from David in Barcelona. Muchas gracias, David from Barcelona, for, hmm. the, for the question. You know, I kind of want to nor I want to normalize both of these things. So can sex be used as a distraction and entertainment? Yes, absolutely. I think that that's a positive thing. And I think if if you're questioning, you know, have, am I having too much sex for distraction and too much sex for entertainment? And the desire is to have um, more connected sex, then you should seek that out, right? I think that there is um, validity in what I like to call happy meal sex. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to get off and that's that can be what you need in that moment. And then other times you're like, I really would like to have this four course, you know, 12 course, four star Michelin restaurant. <laughs> and that, that can be really delicious and, and great too. And the more you have that, you might say, you know what, I'm really not into the Happy Meal right now. I'm not into that. I don't want it. So it's just a matter of like what the desire is. So I want to normalize both. I think they're both valid. I think they're both okay. You know, depending on what you're wanting in that moment is is what you should seek out. I think if you're wanting to um, have deeper connections with people, put that out into the world. You know, if you're meeting people predominantly through the apps, you know, the apps have shadow sides, right? The apps can be like a, a way to have happy meal sex all the time. You know, it's mm -hmm. instant gratification. Everybody's in little boxes. It's like buying sex wholesale, right? You can get whatever you want when you want it. You can find out what people are wanting in that second. I think it also offers an opportunity to be really clear about what you do want. And if it's not offered to you, to be able to say no. And I think one of the things people have a hard time with is saying no, right? Mm -hmm. So first of all, you might need to discover what connected sex means to you, right? If you've never had that and you want it and you don't know, you know, being okay with like experimenting a little bit and not looking at it as a failure, but more of like, hmm, this was actually something really good for me. I'm gonna take that into my next thing or I'm gonna add that to my profile. Mm. You mentioned um, connected sex. I'm curious, what is what does connected sex feel like to you? Hmm. What does it feel like for me? Yeah, or what's your experience of connected sex? Yeah, there's a quote from Osho, which is in one of his books. There's three things that he names that bring us to a state of bliss in our erotic and sexual experiences. And the first one really calls to me um, in a very big way, which is timelessness. And he says, you know, it's not that time doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist for you. It doesn't exist for the person that you're with. You are in some other continuum. And when I'm having connected sex with someone, that is very real. I'm so incredibly present in the moment that it doesn't even come up. Um, there is no time. 
Um, he also talks about the ego does not exist. So me as a person in the world goes away. I'm not Court Vox, the sex educator. I'm not Court Vox, the dad or the brother or the son. I'm, I'm something else. I am coming as my, my erotic self, which is like my life force energy. Hmm. Like my presence and awareness are completely enmeshed with the person that I'm with. Hmm. This is from the Book of Secrets by Osho. And the third thing he names is you are natural. You return to your natural state. You are your body, but something else takes over, right? You become connected and entwined with someone in a completely different way. The you, me, and then the we, right? So you're having your own experience. Your partner or partners are having their own experience. And then there's something that's in the middle, which is like this shared experience, which is the we, right? Mm. And I would say that that happens with, with partners and also with clients that are more advanced, that have done quite a bit of work um, to get themselves to that point. You know, for someone that's a new client um, coming to work with me, you know, we're still working on like how to stay in your body, you know, to not be thinking about what you're having for dinner later or to thinking about, mm, I, I'm going to have to get hard later in this session. Like that's a must, you know, once you can kind of let go of those things um, and really be present with the sensation, be present with the sounds that are in the room, the, the present with the touch that's happening with you, smell, um, even taste and, and using your, your own sound to call you into presence. That's when you start to move into other dimensions, um, which feel a lot like trance states. Hmm. This so relates to what you were talking about with like the, the destination thinking like, oh, the purpose of sex is to come. The purpose of drawing a butterfly is to have the perfect butterfly, you know? Mm -hmm. Once you relinquish that purpose or that destination, maybe it helps you be more present. So what advice do you have for David in Barcelona to access that deeper connection? What can he do to work on that? So I think Tantra is a place to look. Tantra is focused on breath, which can be incredibly powerful as a connecting tool with people. I worked with somebody recently in New York and you know, his thing was like, I have a really hard time um, dropping in to sex. And I said, okay, so what we found in three days working together was all it took for him to go from like having a conversation on the couch or eating lunch with me was let's take three breaths together. And then we were somehow, he, we were connected in a different space. That was enough for him to drop in. Um, so I want to go back to David's question. Uh -huh. I think looking in different spaces and different communities, I honestly think the kink community is an incredible space for people who are looking for deeper connection mm -hmm. and exploration, um, as well as boundaries. A lot of my work is rooted in kink and dominance and submission and, and power, surrender and intimacy in terms of like, let's talk about what this is going to be before we go into it. What are words that you don't want to hear in this? What are, what are things that you're wanting to try? And what are things that are like strict boundaries for you? What is a no? Kinky people tend to be more open. I, when I go to different cities, I love going to the different um, leather bars. Um, when I go there, it seems like there's just a, 
a myriad of different body types, different ethnicities and races, and everybody is welcome there. It's mm. not like you're going in and have to be the perfect chiseled body. They're actually like cool with and like desiring different types of bodies and different types of orientations that I wish existed mm. in more spaces. I think oftentimes people think of bondage and submission and dominance in the whole S&M community, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that it's this like dark, scary, evil place. It has a taboo to it. And, you know, I don't want to enter into that. And yet, I think, like you said, I totally agree with you that that, that is where, you know, the two key ingredients are consent and communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my connection with the bondage world, which is very minimal, but it's my connection is there. And I was like, wow, <laughs> this is like planning totally. a dinner party and we're going out to buy the ingredients <laughs> and and we're, you know, going to... Duct tape, oh, ropes, absolutely. plastic tarps. Right? And it's like, okay, let's go to the Safeway grocery store. Fine. Now we're back home and we're going to have our, have our, you know, yeah, it was so refreshing how much communication there was. And I've always thought that with communication, then the lust and the mystery and the fire is not going to be there. And that was not the case for me. You know, there's definitely, um, you know, the darker side and the more taboo side of PSI or, or BDSM, if you will. What does PSI mean? Yeah. Power, surrender, and intimacy. It's It's more the the modern terminology for BDSM. Thank you. I knew when I said it, I was like, oh, that's so antiquated. It acknowledges that there's a power exchange happening. So, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, the top has all the control and the bottom has no control, but it's actually not the case. The bottom has a ton of control. And in many ways, the bottom is in control in general. They've they've laid out what they are wanting. They've laid out what their boundaries are. And the top is taking them on this journey and respecting the boundaries. And the Mm -hmm. reason that the bottom is able to open as much as they, they, they do is because the top does respect those boundaries every step of the way. And so it is this exchange. The bottom has said, I give you the power, right? I give you the power to do these things to me. I want this. So there is Mm -hmm. an exchange of power. There's an exchange of consent. You know, I just did something with someone and they were like, smack me in my face you don't go balls out the first smack, right? It was like, and it was harder. I want more. Okay, here we go. And it's like, no, that was too much. Okay. How about that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Just like that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. You you talk about giving up power in order to give up power. You have to have it in the first place. That's right. Hey, it's your friendly neighborhood producer, Jackie. We hope you're enjoying Ask Your Gay Uncle. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332. Or you can email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. You can find us on Instagram at askyourgayuncle or Twitter at AYGU podcast. Thanks for listening. Well, this next question, Court, is from me, actually. This is Ben's question. This is something that I am working on and would love your advice on. So I see this pattern in some of my relationships where after a couple months, I start to lose interest in my partner sexually. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, I can't keep my hands to myself and it's all wonderful. And then somehow that shifts. And it has definitely at times become a sore spot on the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this probably sounds terrible, but the crux of it for me is how do I want something that I already have? Okay, so this is something that I get asked a lot. Oh, so I'm so I'm not crazy. Not crazy. <laughs> um, well, it could be a couple of different things. I don't know. Since you're here with me, maybe you can play with me a little bit if you're open sure. to being vulnerable with me. So wait, can I can I just quick put something in here? Ben, sure. should I disappear? Because I don't I mean, I don't you know, I'm your uncle. Is that going to be weird? To, I mean, we've talked about a lot of shit, but you know, I can go away. <laughs> Court, is that what it? I help? mean, of course, I'm also. I will eventually hear it, but I am. It's like we're on <laughs> Zoom, and I'm looking at you. Yeah. I could like. I think it's okay if you stay. It's not. I, I feel comfortable. Like really deep into like actual sex, but we're talking about you yeah. know potential reasons why. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So first of all, let's talk about. There's a school of thought from Esther Perel, who's a very um, well-known sex therapist yeah. who I'm a really big fan of. She talks about um, in her book, Mating in Captivity, about how sometimes when you have too much intimacy with someone, it gets too familiar and you're just kind of like, Ugh, I know too much about this person. The mystery is gone. And that's something that's so exciting about a new partner is there's all these new prospects, right? You're discovering their body, their sexuality, their energy, um, everything is new and it's also a mystery. You don't really know what's going to happen. You're just going on pure instinct. And so when it gets to that point where you're like, okay, we, you're not new to me anymore. Maybe you just need some time apart. I mean, I, I was talking to my partner about this last night and I said, do you find our sex hotter when I've been away for a long time and I come back and we haven't had sex for a while? And for me, it is. Mm. And so what you're saying is, how do I want something I already have? Well, what if you took it away a little bit? What if you took some space with that person? It's so funny you say that because I have one, one ex of mine that this happened with. After we broke up, mm -hmm. suddenly our chemistry was off the charts. Yeah. We started hooking up after we broke up and it was like better than it had ever been when we were together. So, so you kind of have an answer to your question, which is, you might have created too much intimacy with that person. Um, there's no mystery left. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, Esther Perel talks about autonomy, like creating autonomy for yourself, it's like have your own life and have your partner have their own life. And so when you come back together, like you actually have new things to talk about. You have new experiences to share, which is really exciting. You're you're kind of like, you know, this person, but you're meeting their experiences for the first time. So there's that train of thought. Um, there's also the train of thought that that intimacy actually creates deeper connection that you wouldn't normally have with other people, which I think is possible for some people too. You know, there's some people that really need um, an, an immense amount of intimacy or or to feel safe enough to really unfold, um, mm -hmm. to really let go in a way that's like, yes, I want you to see me in this way. I am able to explore and experiment in these new ways because I do feel safe enough with you. So there's that train of thought. And then, which brings me to like the last um, thing, which is like, are you being served the meal that you want, right? And are hmm. you serving, are you serving a meal that is desired, right? So if your kind of pattern in sex is, okay, we're gonna come in, we're gonna make out for a little bit, I'm gonna eat your ass, 
and then you're going to suck my dick and then I'm going to fuck you. And then we're going to come and then we're going to lay there together, take a shower and it's over. Right. It becomes this formula where you're like, I know what's going to happen. This is not exciting for me anymore. Right. So we've done this. Mm. So what are you serving? Like, what are you bringing? And this is my question to you, Ben. Like Mm -hmm. if you're bored after three months of being with someone, is it because the meal that you're serving is not exciting anymore? It's not new. Um, And is what they're serving just like not what you want? So how do you get out of that? You serve, you can take control of that and be like, I'm going to serve something else. Have you ever considered being tied up before? Have you ever considered playing with toys? Mm -hmm. Have you ever considered bringing in a third? Yeah. It gets to a complicated place, though, when let's say you want something different or you want to mix it up, but the person you're with wants that same meal over and over again. That's right. It's hard to say that. It's hard to say our sex has become a little monotonous and I want to switch it up. Are you open to switching it up? And if their answer is no, no, I actually am really content with this. Your next answer might be, well, I need to figure out another place to get this. Yeah, yeah. You know, whether that's with you or with someone else or it's going to class or whatever it is, I need to be fed in different ways and you're not able to feed me there. And you're also not willing to, to meet me, right? Willingness is such a huge part of relationship and actually just anything. That's why I'm good at what I do. It's I have a lot of skills and I have a lot of knowledge But the real piece that makes me good at what I do is my willingness to meet people where they're at. You want to, you want to practice dominance and submission today. You want to know what that feels like. I'll meet you there. You want to do really soft, light touch today. Fine. Great. I love that. I'll meet you there. You want to play with role play and dress up in costumes. Let's do it. But the minute somebody is not willing, it ends, it ends the discussion. It ends the game. Um, Yeah. I think as the person that's saying yeah. no, also, it's like, why? Why are you saying no to this? Are you scared? Is there shame around it? Where is this no coming from? And can I, is there like a yes and, hmm. right? Is there a negotiation here? So my, my insecurity with this is what if it's not the specific meal that I'm getting bored of? What if it's the person that I'm bored of? What if it is? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> Well, I mean, you'll, you're never going to know. Answer his question, Ben. Answer his question. What if it is? Yeah, what does that mean? What if it is? Then that means maybe I'm no longer sexually interested in this person and we need to not be together anymore. But then does that mean I'm just going to have this like series of short relationships until I lose sexual interest in the person? Well, I think what you're identifying is a pattern, right? And so what I'm going to say to you is it's not them, it's you. The, mm. the common denominator in this pattern is you. <laughs> and so really, you know, the exploration for you is, can you stay in a little bit longer? And that's the invitation I would say to you if we're working together is, can you stay in a little bit longer? What's in it for you to stay in? Okay, you get to that point where you're bored and you want out. The exploration for you is to stay you know, to stay and do things differently. And really, it's not can you stay for the other person, it's can you stay for yourself? Because what what is in the staying for you 
could possibly be new information. And whether you end up staying with that person for years or just an extra three months or three weeks, there's likely some information in there that could be good for you, which is maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the boring one, right? You're the only person that you have control over. So you might introduce something mm -hmm. new. Hey, how would you feel about um, going on this trip with me? How would you feel about going to a sex club? How would you feel about doing um, trying rope bondage? How would you feel about doing sensual massage? Mm. So looking at some other choices that you could make as portals into your erotic space that are not the same as what you've been doing and seeing if that shifts things for you. And that thing that was really exciting to you about that person actually might come back as an exciting thing for you. Mm. It's, it's definitely like something you have to stay curious about. And, you know, for someone like myself, like there's not a lot of things I haven't tried. If I'm just being honest, <laughs> not a lot of things that I haven't tried um, or want to try. This, I, I, I feel like you're tempted. Like, I, I want to just like suggest things now and have you say yes or no. Never have I ever. <laughs> I think you're going to win though. How are we going to win? Again, it's my invitation to you is can you stay in just a little bit longer and not only shift some of your thinking, mm. but shift your behaviors making different invitations to that partner and finding somebody who's willing, again, there's that word willing to keep exploring with you, to keep being curious with you. And, you know, if you're not that kind of person that's curious, like finding someone who's always kind of pushing your own boundaries, your own edges, like that is more sexually curious than you might be important. I really like what you said before about reframe it instead of making it about you being bored of that person you're with make it about you being bored of who you've become with that person or who you are with that person and change up what you're doing i like that because it puts the focus on me and it's like it gives me something to do because i think in those times in the past i get into this place where i'm like i don't know what to do it's the person you know <laughs> and i'm like all i can do is be with a new person and that's where and i, I see it as like this person or somebody else and i don't even think about how can I transform whom I'm being with that same exact person to switch mm -hmm. things up? I mean, so I think, look, I think that's an exploration for you. Yeah. I also think, um, you know, you might come to the conclusion that you just constantly need new sexual partners, which is also okay. So finding a life partner, if that's what you want, who's also okay with that. Mm. So there's a lot of choices and just finding the right one that works for you. Yeah. Thank you, Court. That's yeah. that's really helpful. I liked um, the analogy you keep coming back to around the Happy Meal and and food. I like food, and one of the things that I so appreciate about yeah. you bringing food into this so much is, um, I think we don't normalize sex. I think sex is on this pedestal and it either has a taboo or a shame. It's hidden. When do we get to attain it and how does it happen? And, you know, all of this stuff as opposed to, no, it's actually food and we eat three times a day. And, you know, the, the whole idea of like, well, what do you want? Do you want Indian tonight? Do you want Chinese? Do you want Mexican food or like hippy dippy stir fry shit, you know? And, and so to frame sex and normalize it, is is so great. I think I think we rarely do that. 
So thanks for that. I don't know about sex three times a day, though. I don't have the energy yeah. for that. Oh, come on. Didn't you when you were 18? <laughs> no. Really? I never had the energy for that. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was me then. I'll speak for myself. I think the most sex I've had in a day was like five, five times. And oh, my God. I look back on that and I go, wow, that was, that was a... <laughs> Did you, have anything, did you have time to do anything else that no, day? I mean, like, did you go to the did. bathroom? That's all I did. Did you eat anything? How did you not starve? <laughs> I wasn't hungry. Well, you were eating something, yeah, that's for sure. I was, you know, and I look back on that time in my life, and I think that was really important for me. Like, that's where I was mm. at the time. You know, I don't have sex five times a day now. But at that time in my life, it was like a big part of my exploration, big part of my journey. You know, what you were talking about a little bit earlier was like, there's this thought of like that people get into where sex becomes so precious that it's like, I'm saving myself for this, or I don't want it because it's, and it just becomes so precious that you don't do it. Right. And then there's the other school of thought, which is like, this is taboo and it's so taboo that I don't do it. It's like, well, sometimes the taboo and the transgressive pieces of it, that's what makes it hot. Like I'm not supposed to be doing this. And so that's what drives me to want it more. And like, that's yeah. okay too. I would say as long as you're not hurting anybody, go for it. Explore your body, explore your own sexuality. What's next for you? What's next for me? Um, you know, I, I'm pretty booked for the rest of the year. Um, mm, the rest of the year? The rest of the year, yeah. I just want to get this straight. People book sessions with you nine months in advance, seven months in advance. There are people that are already looking at 2022, yeah. You got your hands full. Yeah. Sweet. Well, Court Vox, thank you so much for joining us on Ask Your Gay Uncle. Mm -hmm. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Do you want to? Yeah. Instagram, I'm at Court Vox or at The Body Vox. And my website, um, which has a ton of information, is www.thebodyvox.com. And that's V-O-X, everybody. Yeah. Vox. Thanks, Court. Ask Your Gay Uncle is created by Tom Truss and Ben Palacios, with production support by me, Jackie Anders. Album artwork by Seth Shellhouse. Theme song and musical interludes by Ben Palacios and Dan Reuter. Special thanks to Matt Marr and everyone who sent us questions. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332 or email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. Find us on Facebook at Ask Your Gay Uncle Podcast. More information at askyourgayuncle.com.